question, uh, famous line. Play it again, Sam. You've heard that many times. But I'm going to ask you something serious. What was it that he played? No. Mr. Bogart says, play it again, Sam. And what was it he played? Not what instrument. What was the tune? Mm-hmm. It was a silly movie. <laughs> I'll tell you, <laughs> I, you know, it's it's my it's my my firm belief that the sillier and and more romantic a movie it is, that the more people love it. It's a silly movie. So, of course, uh, that that uh, silliness is uh, is part of the human condition, and uh, which makes us what we are. You know, you've never heard of a silly giraffe. They're not. You know, they just go around and do their giraffing, but. Uh, uh, it's only man that has uh, that streak of silliness, sappiness. To, it's the it's the sappy. Uh, how can I say it? It's the. Uh, I have a phrase that I I've uh, used from time to time on the show here. Maybe some of you remember. It's the sappiness quotient. And uh, the yes, the sappiness quotient will eventually be measured like the octane in gasoline. And uh, and it is a rule of thumb of we who are students of the sappiness quotient. A rule of thumb that the more the sappiness quotient is evident, the higher the critical kudus will be of any given piece of work. The sappiness quotient is important, hence, ergo, ipso facto, in hoc agricola conch. You know, uh, this is a very important uh, moment in my... uh, You know, everybody has his own little private uh, uh, calendar of celebrations. Uh, You know, you you celebrate the time you got sprung. you can fill it in what it is you got sprung from. I have a friend, by the way, who every year, 
Every year he's been doing this. I get a, uh, I get an invitation from him. It's in, in the middle of June. Every year he celebrates his divorce. And he celebrates it far more fervently than, say, the 4th of July or, say, uh, uh, Christmas. He celebrates his divorce. And uh, he, uh, he has this big bash. Tremendous crowd arrives. And everybody gets this printed invitation, Charlie celebrating his divorce. And uh, now, at this point, it's become so legendary and so traditional in Charlie's life that uh, people don't think any more about it than uh, going to have Thanksgiving dinner. Everybody goes to celebrate Charlie's legendary divorce. And now it's even gotten to the point in his life where it is kind of uh, mythologized. He talks about Cynthia in the mythological terms that one speaks of the Puritans and the uh, early settlers. You don't actually think of a Puritan sitting down and having a turkey wing. Uh, <laughs> you don't, you know. Uh, you, you think of them in mythological terms. Was the turkey well done on that famous day in Thanksgiving? Because, you know, there's nothing worse than an underdone turkey. And uh, there's been plenty of those on Broadway. However, uh, there's nothing uh, <laughs> there's nothing really seriously worse than a turkey that is under. Now, I think I think uh, any cook out there, there's a cook listening out there. Anybody who does any cooking, the one thing you must do. There's a rule of thumb, gang. No, everybody eats, but damn few cook. Uh, there's a rule of thumb, and that rule of thumb is whatever it says on the frozen turkey package, for how long you should fix the turkey. Add at least one hour. Now, do you, do you know why this is so? You don't know. Well, that's called psychology, sales psychology. If you pick up a frozen turkey and it says you got to cook it for 27 and a half weeks, you're going to say, oh, what do you mean? Let's get that corned beef hash, huh? So you don't want to do that. So they'll say, just uh, one and a half hours, <laughs> and you put it on, and the thing comes out like a gutta percha. Now, that doesn't make any difference. You see, you're committed. Uh, once you put the turkey in the thing there and it starts cooking, you can't hot-foot it back to the A&P. So uh, the thing is that uh, everything is under... It's a for take clothing sizes now. It is well known that a person will buy a, uh, a shirt or any, any type of clothing if it is uh, one size smaller than he thinks that he always should have worn. That's a great... Uh, it's a great ego thing. So you go in there, see, and uh, you, you are naturally, let's say, uh, you wear a size 128 jacket, right? So uh, you don't want to buy a 128 jacket. <laughs> I mean, you know, the kind that Dumbo the elephant would wear. So uh, you take the 128 jacket and you put a new tag on it that says 36 medium. At which point the guy will buy that thing like a smallmouth bass hitting a plug. And uh, <laughs> you're going to say, well, well, what do you mean? How can they do What do you mean how can they do that? There's no law that says that you, can, <laughs> you can put any size you want on it. <laughs> oh, you didn't know you've been taken, did you? Well, uh, it's okay. I mean, that's called illusion, and it never hurt you. It, uh, you're going to buy a jacket eventually anyway, even if you have to go to Herman's Sporting Goods store and buy a tent and have them put sleeves on it. The... the <laughs> <laughs> the fact is, you're going to have to do something. So, so uh, you know, man, uh, man does his best, and uh, everybody has his own private little calendar of little secret events. Like, uh, you know, you'll see him in restaurants a lot. This moony-looking guy is looking into the eyes of this moony-looking girl, and uh, if you were over there, uh, you know, close enough, you could hear him say, "Do you realize, Cynthia, that it was just four years ago tonight?" 
that I met you and the Howard Johnson on the Jersey Turnpike. And, uh, you know, it's a great moment. And that's a private moment. And it's not a public celebration. <laughs> the Slob Art Celebratory uh, Dumbo Creation of the Week Award. Would you please bring it up there? like to salute uh, the company, and I don't know the name of the company, that has brought out for anniversaries and celebratory moments only, the musical cigarette lighter. You can buy a musical cigarette lighter now that every time you flick the bick there, on comes the anniversary waltz. Better enough to... No, this one doesn't do it. My God, you don't think I'd have one of those things, do you? No, no. Are you kidding? I mean... <laughs> That's enough to make you give up everything, including chewing red man tobacco, isn't it? Mind if I sit in with the gang? Just no substitute for talent, I'll tell you. It's scary, isn't it? But, uh, <laughs> I know there are all kinds of uh, little secret uh, anniversaries people celebrate. And uh, it's it's all deeply Im embedded in our private lives. Now, uh, and he, he, you even look at, the, you know, you look at the very official guys. Now, let's take Walter Cronkite. Uh, he looks very official. You'd say, why? Cronkite is so official that he can't conceivably have the kind of grubbing private life that I'm. Yet I'll bet if you were to get close to Cronkite, very brief little moments, Cronkite looks up at the calendar, and a flicker of recognition goes through his mind that this is the day, the blessed day, that he quit his job in that rotten radio station in Kansas 222 years ago and got away from that idiotic dummy that ran that ridiculous station. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, all guys have all kinds of little celebratory moments, and, and, and I am tonight celebrating one of mine. Uh, yes, it's, uh, I, I celebrated it right off. The first thing I did was get up and uh, look around and said, this is the day, and uh, I, I uh, made preparations to celebrate it. I'll tell you, <laughs> it's like getting hit with a charge a very, very small octane bird shot 
Not a ting, titty ting. Hey, you know, speaking of birdshot, uh, if I, uh, you know, I, this is a potpourri night here. How many times have you heard people say it potpourri? But it's a potpourri night here. And uh, I would like to ask a question. Whatever happened to the New York Times search for the, uh, for the uh, Loch Ness Monster? You remember when they were doing all that? Well, I'll bet there's a lot of guys yelling around up there. The old gray lady of Times Square, 43rd Street. <laughs> Why the hell do we spend $4 million on that cockamamie, huh? Well, uh, I don't know. I, I, I just, uh, it just sort of petered out, didn't it? We were getting all those reports. And then suddenly it's gone. Well, of course, that can happen to you in Scotland. Uh, I've been in Scotland. In fact, I've been at Loch Ness. Oh, yes, I've been everywhere. That's that's uh, that's why I have that funny look in the eye. Once you have traveled to the, most of the rest of the world, you can never look at the rest of the world the way you always did. I mean, you take, for example, uh, uh, Neil Armstrong. Now, when Neil Armstrong looks up at the moon, he obviously looks up at it with a very different view than you would. Yeah, he's been there, you know, and not only has he been there, he knows when he gets there, it doesn't look the way it looked when you were 290 million miles away from it looking at it. It's just the way I am, you know. I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was I saying? Uh, uh, what, was, uh, what was it? Let's see. Uh, no, it doesn't matter. You know, speaking of, uh, of uh, momentary things that I have to say, uh, birdshot, yes, we were going to talk about birdshot. Uh, I don't know why I brought that up. But uh, you don't? Well, that commercial reminded me of getting hit by it. Uh, you know, just a whole lot of little stinging sensations. Just not quite enough to draw blood, but enough to irritate you. But uh, on the subject of celebrations, I, I'm finally going to get to it here, friends. I am celebrating the anniversary of the receipt of my amateur radio license. Now, that is a true, true celebration. Now, most people do not understand what that means. Because they can... Now, watch. A lot of nice little old ladies will say, Yes, there's this little boy in our neighborhood who has a CB. No. This has nothing to do. Please do not. And I don't often... I don't often use uh, the airwaves as, uh, as a uh, true information medium. But I will tell you, do not, I repeat, not confuse amateur radio with CB. I repeat... Say it to yourself. Sit up there. Come on. Say it to yourself. Pull in your stomach and say, I will not confuse amateur radio with CB. Any more than I will confuse, say, uh, uh, sauerkraut with peach melba. They are both something to eat, but they are light years removed from one another. Okay? So... Uh, CB and amateur radio both involve electronics and radio equipment, but they are light years removed from one another. And I mean light years. Not to be confused. Now, when you get your amateur radio license, at least when I got my amateur radio license as a kid, uh, it was one of the great moments of my life. Truly a great moment. First of all, there's, there's all kinds of suspense involved in it. Now, one of the bits of his suspense is whether you're going to get it or not. In other words, it combines not only the suspense of taking a very difficult examination and the worry whether you're going to pass it. But see, when you take the exam, or at least when I took it, they didn't just say, hey, you passed. No way. This uh, 
very official man for the government, the radio inspector, the R.I. He, uh, he just quietly picked up all the envelopes and didn't say another word to you. And then you waited week after week, the enigmatic government. And uh, yes, it's a fantastic feeling. And then you began to feel, I bet I really, I really, oh, I know what it was. I know where I screwed up. I'll tell you. And then you think, you keep thinking, did I, did I, no, no, I couldn't have said that. And, th and then you, you start, you start believing that uh, uh, you, you begin to have hallucinations. That when you wrote out the exam, what you did was actually write your name down 42 times and forget to answer the questions. You know, all kinds of terrible things coming to mind. You say, I know what happened. Oh, yes, I know what I made a mistake. It was point one instead of point oh, oh, one. Oh, my God, no. You know, and so, anyway, because this is it's a nip and tough, tough exam. <laughs> Toughy. It's one of the toughest. Well, then uh, you wait and wait. And then it has another side to it. And I'm doing this for, for any guys out there who are hams, because they know what I'm talking about. When you get your ham ticket, you don't only get a license. You get another name. You really get another name. It would be the same thing as if you took some kind of a, of a very highly technical government exam, and uh, let's say your name was uh, uh, Clarence. Uh, Clarence Seastrunk, right? And, uh, and, and you took the exam, and if you passed it, they were going to change your name to uh, uh, Clark Kent. From that day on, people called you Clark. Because you see, not only do you get an amateur radio exam, you get a call sign. Now, all of you are familiar with the call letters of the station that you're listening to. Now, that's, that call letter is the name, literally, the name of that station. It's more than that. It's an identification. It's a license. Do you ever think about those call signs? So if you're here in New York, you're hearing me on WOR. If you're, uh, say, uh, uh, in uh, Chicago, you're hearing me on WBUR. B-E-Z, Z, that's it, W-B-E-Z. If you're in Boston, it's W-B-U-R. So those call signs are very precious to the people who have them because it's their name. It's just like Campbell Soup kind of likes to see that that thing that says Campbell's out there, you know. It's their ID. It's their name. It's the trademark. It's the identifying mark, the factor. And just like everything else, you can get good ones and bad ones. I mean, uh, you can get a name that you hate. I know people that hate their name. They're, they're uh, somewhere along the line, somebody gave him this awful name, uh, you know, uh, uh, Clarence. And he hates the name Clarence. So he keeps trying to tell people, hey, why don't you call me Lefty? You know, <laughs> call me uh, Ace. Uh, and then, so when you get your amateur radio license, you get a license that could be either a good name or a, hmm, you know. They all mean the same. It's a name. But some are kind of great. Like, for example, a friend of mine waiting to get his license just like I did. We were waiting, we were kids, and by a fantastic mistake in the great computer in the sky, he got a two-letter call. Credible. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you. Do you know what that's like? That's roughly like you're waiting to get your new license plate from New York, you know? You know, you don't know what you get. You're just expecting a number, you know, like 15 letters in a row. And you open up your license plate, and it says three. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you would flip. 
I mean, you would blow your gasket because the minute you strapped that onto your 1962 MG and drove around the street, people would say, oh, there goes a biggie. Look at him. Well, this kid got a two-letter call, and he sat for a whole year expecting any minute now to get a letter saying, send it back. It was, it was a mistake. And it never caught up with him, and to this day, I will not give you his call. To this day, he is still in the call book, and he doesn't deserve a two-letter call any more than you deserve to be called King Farouk. But uh, he's got it. <laughs> but that kind of mistake doesn't happen often. So I'm sitting there waiting to get my license. And I remember I was going to school, see, and I was going to summer school that year. And it was one of those summer school years where it's kind of boring, and and uh, the days drag on, and... And uh, why I was going to summer school really was uh, had to do with football. Anyways, I'll, I'll burden you with that. So I just kept coming home every day, and every day I kept coming home waiting to see that license in the in the uh, you know just just that envelope. Now the envelope is a very official little envelope. Of course, it's a little square envelope with a little window in it, and it says on it the Federal Communications Commission, and it's a great looking little envelope. It's really official. Now if you flunk. Well, you don't get that kind of envelope. <laughs> Let's put it that way. If you get the goodie, you do. Well, now what bugged me? See, what what really added to the to the fantastic excitement was that three of us went up on the same day to get our licenses. All of us in the same class in school. This was not a, no, a novice license, by the way. In case you're interested, this was the real thing, a general or what they called then a class B license. So uh, there's no novice involved. So, uh, the, the excitement. So we, and, and all three of us, one guy, one guy got jumpy. Stan, for example, uh, he, he, was, he was convinced he failed. He just, and he got very surly. It takes the government months sometimes, actually weeks in this case, to send you the license. It took maybe five, six, seven weeks. Well, to a kid who has studied for two years to get this license... Six weeks passes about like the building of the pyramids. You can't believe how how uh, how that time dragged. I can still remember to this day. And every day I'd come home and say, "Hey, Mars, any mail?" She'd say, "Well, what are you expecting?" I'd say, "Mom, my license." She says, "No, there's nothing there. There's a bill for your father." Oh wow, you know, gee whiz. And so uh, every passing day, then there would be rumors. See, rumors would be passed around among all you know the guys, the hams around there, that uh, that if you if if you didn't hear from them within four weeks, you passed. <laughs> that was that rumor. By the way, I saw a guy who was a tragic. Uh, he was a tragic example of a guy who believed that seven weeks after he took his license, he got his failure notice. And here he'd been celebrating. Oh, yes. Oh, but, uh, the government uh, does not play games with amateur radio. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, the three of us, there were three of us, went up the same day to take our license. All three of us, being fanatical kids and being highly talented in code, all three of us were fanatical. We, we worked at code, CW, the way previously we had mastered Pinochle. Now, uh, that's something that uh, male-type kids will do in the basement is play Pinochle. And we had gotten, right? I never see girls, three girls sitting around playing Pinochle. Now, they will all say, yes, we did. But I never saw it happen. And they only did it after they were grown up. <laughs> but we used to sit there and play Pinochle till, till we had the cards worn. They were round. They were round cards, and they were thick by that time. Our, our deck of cards was about six, seven inches thick. It was like a small, fat softball. And, 
you couldn't even read the bicycles on them. So, uh, nevertheless, we had mastered CW. Boy, I tell you, there wasn't uh, there wasn't one of us out of the three who was not under, let's say, who was under 25 words a minute at that point. Because, you know, kids are really fanatics. A kid will be a fanatic about something. Uh, have you ever seen a kid turn a fanatical religious kid? Yes, I have. I have. Oh, yes. Have you ever seen a kid turn to a fanatical reader? He reads 24 hours a day till his eyeballs fall out. And uh, that's that's a fanaticism. Well, a, well, a ham kid, a kid that gets really into this thing, he's fanatic. That's all you think about. You eat, sleep, drink, eat, sleep, drink, talk. You work. I, when, when the other kids would be doodling, drawing airplanes, I would be drawing a tri-ted oscillator. I drew, I, to this day, whenever I doodle, I start drawing a uh, class AB1 amplifier. <laughs> Complete with, uh, with uh, component uh, values. Uh, you know, proper. Uh, when I put an RFC choke down there, I put the 2.5 millihenries. I don't just put RFC. So, uh, you know, it, it was a fanat- you know, moment of fanaticism in my life. I, I know about fanatics. That's why I understand the fanatic mind very well. Because having uh, gone through the fanatic scene myself, I understand the kind of grip that your head can get. Well, weeks went by. Stanley became more morose. In fact, he had this hollow, staring look of a guy who, at the age of 13, has already discovered mortality. Now, Bolas, on the other hand, Bolas pretended it didn't matter. Like, well, I don't care what the hell. I only took it for fun anyway. <laughs> Listen, Bolas had been studying for two and a half years <laughs> to the extent where he didn't even eat any meals. He even gave up fig newtons to study. So, you know, he tried to spend, well, you know, you're not seeing me worry. You know, but you notice his nose was always sweating whenever we'd come home. See, well, I had a terrible crushing blow happen to me. One happy day. I went home with Bolas and with Stanley. Now, I got home first. They lived further on. I walked into the house, no mail. Two and a half minutes after I got into the house, and I was mad, you know, I was getting my field admit, the phone rang, and it's Bolas. He got his license. Oh, my God. You know, he get his license. He got this great call. <laughs> Which I will not tell you, because you'll look it up in the call book, and you'll start bugging him with letters. And uh, he got this great call. And five minutes after Bolas called, Stanley called, and he got his license. I can only tell you it was a somber night down at George's Pinball, where I was setting pins that night with <laughs> with other friends of mine, not in the amateur radio game. I The old snap was gone. I mean, I just set pins solidly and somberly, because I figured this was it. Would you believe it? Ten days went by. I had nothing in the mail. And then that blessed day. I came home from school. By this time, I'd given up. It's all over. And then, by the way, it was one of the few times in my life where I actively contemplated suicide. I mean, I figured, what the hell? Yeah, You know what I think? I, 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 you know how I thought I was going to do? I'll, I'll tell you how I was going to commit suicide. I had already built the equipment that I was going to go on the air with. And I had a 750-volt, 250-mil power supply. I was just going to stick my hand in it. And that's going the quick way, and it's very symbolic. I mean, you are a very, uh, a very 
very high-resistance load, I can tell you that, when your eyeballs bulge with that 750 volts. So I was figuring I was going to do that. And I came home one day, and I, by this time, I'm not even, I don't even ask. I don't, you know, I don't go in and say, hey, is there any mail, Ma? Because she always said no. And she seemed kind of vaguely glad. I walked in this time, I walked into the john, kicked my kid brother out, walked into the bedroom, got my fielder's mitt, walked out, and I messing around. And I'm not even thinking anything, and I'm out on the porch, and all of a sudden my mother came out and said, yeah, aren't you going to look at your mail? I said, what? She said, aren't you going to look at your mail? It's on the kitchen table. I said, no kidding. And I rushed into the house, and there was that beautiful envelope with the little glass front on it. It was one of the great high days of my life. And every year when that day arrives, I look up at the calendar and I feel this warm flush of victory. And by the way, I'm still licensed. I would I would just quit. I would give up my own name before I would give up my hand call. Right? Okay. So, uh, this is a little day of private celebration. A little CW, you know, you know. What did I say, huh? <laughs>